Hello. Um, we've got a special podcast for you today, a special edition of Understand SC, where we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can about the coronavirus and specifically how it's affecting South Carolina. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We're joined by health editor Lauren Saucer and health and business reporter M.K. Wildeman. Both of them uh, cover healthcare issues in South Carolina, and they've been leading a lot of coverage of the virus. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Of course. Now, uh, we've we've done an episode like this once before back uh, in the fall when um, Charleston was, was facing down a, a hurricane. You know, normally, we, we record these episodes ahead of time. Um, we're recording this one at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. So it's possible, you know, this is a really fluid situation. It's possible that some of the specific details might have changed by the time you listen to this episode. Um, we're going to try to keep the conversation as as useful as possible, but just keep that in mind. So when we're talking specific details, maybe the the exact number of presumptive positive cases, that, that could have changed, but still the information that we're talking about, how to be prepared, what to do if you feel sick, um, how the state is responding, that information will all still be relevant. Um, so just to jump right into it, what is a coronavirus? What is COVID-19? Why are we hearing these two different terms? How can we explain that? So, COVID-19 is just the acronym for Coronavirus Disease 2019. And it's a disease that's caused by a specific virus that's part of a family of viruses that are commonly called coronavirus. Um, This one appeared to have emerged in China in 2019, hence its name, and has since spread across the world. Yeah, I think the the new name that I've been seeing a lot popping up on on like medical Twitter lately is SARS-CoV-2, which at first kind of confused me. I was wondering, wait, does this have something to do with SARS? If you remember that outbreak like a decade ago, so the coronavirus actually is related to the virus that called the that caused that SARS outbreak, and that's why it's called that. It. It's basically called SARS-CoV-2. It's like the sequel, I guess. As I understand it, the SARS term that you yeah. just used is the name of the virus that causes the disease. Exactly, yeah. It stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Right, and so Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, when we're talking symptoms, what are we seeing in terms of people who have this disease? What kind of symptoms are they displaying? Cough, shortness of breath, fever. Those are the three ones that I'm reading about. Of course, they're you know, people are going to experience other things, but generally those are the three that characterize most of these cases. And I'll say, too, that um, we've we've gotten some reader questions about how flu, the regular flu, sort right. of differentiates from um, COVID-19. And, and the fact is that they're both respiratory illnesses with really the exact same symptoms. So the answer is simply there, there are not um, symptomatic differences usually between between the two. And so in order to confirm a coronavirus case, it has to be tested. Mm-hmm. Well, so I know towards the end of this, we're, we're going to get into some specific um, Twitter questions, but it does seem like this is now a great opportunity to address probably one of the things I've seen over and over and over again, including from some politicians, this idea that the coronavirus COVID-19 it just basically is the flu and that we shouldn't like basically the the argument being well you know the the flu kills what like 20 to 30,000 people a year 
we don't panic about that. Why why is there panic about this? Or why is there so much concern about this? Well, first off, there is a flu vaccine that's available to everyone and and there's a lot of it and it's distributed widely and it's cheap. There is no vaccine for this. There is no cure. Humans have not been exposed to it before. The mortality rate appears to be significantly higher than the flu. Yes, it's was something like point one percent for for influenza. For yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, obviously, the research is being done right now. We don't have like definitive stats yet, but so far, the range for this looks like it's somewhere in like the two percent range, two to two point five. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's been different, right? Depending on how much testing has been done in different areas, right? right? Sure. Right. Yeah. There's it's a sort of a a range. Yeah. Um, we don't quite know. Now, keep in mind, flu mortality is low because so many people get vaccinated for it, but we don't have that option right now for this right. COVID-19. So. And for context, I'll, I, I also checked in with uh, DHEC about th- this flu season. Um, and so far we have 93 deaths and 5,400 cases. So obviously so far- um, there That's are more... in South Carolina. Yes. Yes. That's specifically in South Carolina. And so, of course, so far- we have more cases of seasonal influenza than coronavirus right now. But I think the concern is, of course, that coronavirus is going to be much more um, widespread. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And like even I think, too, some people probably look at that 2% number and think, well, that's that's pretty low. Like my odds, like objectively of you know dying from it are really pretty low. I, you know, the way that I've been thinking about it, like in my social circle, I know easily like 100 people 200 people so the odds that i like know somebody seems pretty pretty good and that that's kind of a scarier way of of thinking about it i think i think too that we should just be thinking about coronavirus in the way that it's going to change your daily lives and how we'll individually have to respond and the fact is you know aside from the obvious human impact of death and serious illness that our daily lives are just going to change and they have to change because mm-hmm. Of what's happening, so that's, that's the part kind of that worries mind. me. Yeah, it's I, I I I don't have any underlying health conditions. I know people who do, um, so that's scary. But personally, what troubles me is you know, what if my daughter's daycare closes? You know, what if am I going to struggle to work from home if I need to? If am I going to be able to go to the grocery store? I mean, stuff like that. On the topic of disruptions. So some of the things we've already seen in South Carolina, right, we're not quite seeing as many disruptions as other parts of the country, right, that have bigger outbreaks, but it's already happening. So we can still go to the grocery store, but I'm sure you all have seen the the aisles that don't have any hand sanitizer. They're running out of soap. Toilet paper checked, and paper towels. I've checked so many stores for, for hand sanitizer, mostly out of curiosity it is better to wash your hands um when you are a business reporter too yeah (laughs) and i've been checking in and really it's just store after store is out so it's kind of a small disruption at this point um but colleges right are already responding we just saw from usc today extending spring break one week colleges elsewhere are making bigger moves though and telling their students to get off campus. It's a bigger disruption. So, right, we haven't quite seen those major ones here in South Carolina yet, but we're definitely seeing it elsewhere in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've, in other countries, maybe we get kind of a preview of what might be coming here in the next couple of weeks. So 
again, as of Wednesday morning, um, Italy is really being hit hard right now. They recently surpassed South Korea to become the uh, second or to have the second highest number of, of um, confirmed cases just in the last couple of days. At first, they locked down the northern part of the country, put in travel restrictions, closed all the schools. And then in just the last couple of days, they extended that to the entire country. So the entire country of Italy is now on lockdown. Now, th- I mean, that doesn't mean you can't like leave your house. You can still like go to work and, and do stuff. But obviously, massive, massive disruptions to the, the daily lives of, of people in that country. When we're talking what it looks like here right now, like we said, midday, Wednesday, what do we have in terms of presumptive positive cases? And then also, can we explain what it means when we say presumptive positive, right? So we have nine in South Carolina. Presumptive means that these patients have tested positive for the virus by our state health department, the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control. DHEC presumes that these patients have the coronavirus pending official confirmation from the CDC in Atlanta. So basically, they're tested once by DHEC. The lab results are sent to the CDC, and the CDC officially confirms them. I believe that we have two officially confirmed cases out of the nine presumptive cases. And I believe both of the officially confirmed cases are based in Kershaw County in Camden. We have a presumed case here in Charleston, a woman who um, works at the Medical University of South Carolina, and she um, recently took a trip to Italy and France and came back and is self-quarantining. There's a case in Spartanburg, and the rest of the cases are in Camden. Where there's the state health officials are now calling that community spread yeah. there in Camden, which is, I think, an important point. To Cam- Camden, yeah. for people who aren't as familiar with uh, the geography of the state, is in the Midlands. It is um, kind of northeast of Columbia. Not really close. I guess Columbia is probably the city that it's closest to, but it, it's kind of out there. I believe there's a lot of commuters yeah. in Camden. Yeah. Kershaw is definitely considered a rural county yeah. in the state. It's best known probably for the Carolina Cup, which is a large horse race that happens every spring. Um, which is still on, by the way. <laughs> as of as of now. Yes. Still on. Um, can we explain a little bit what it means when we say community spread? It means that it's actively circulating in the community and that these cases are no longer tied to an outside region of the state or the world where the virus is spreading. So, for example, we have a case here in Charleston, but it's not considered community spread because the only person that we know has tested positive was exposed to it in Europe. The people who are testing positive in Camden likely contracted the virus in Camden. So it's circulating locally there. Which is usually a sign... It is a sign for public health officials that they have less control over that situation. They tend to move toward more of like a mitigation phase, right? It is going to be much harder to isolate the spread of the virus in Camden, for example, than it is currently in Charleston, where we don't think that it's circulating. Well, I think it's probably important to realize, too. So this means that somebody brought it to Camden. Like, it didn't just spontaneously occur in Camden. 
we don't at this point know how that happened or, or who did it or, or what. So that that's another big question mark is like, why, why Camden? Why, why is this happening? You this know? was so we the the news about the first two cases broke on Friday evening around seven o'clock. And one of the first cases was an elderly woman from Camden um, who had been transferred to a hospital in Columbia. And one of our first questions was, um, you know, they, the DHEC did not know how this woman had contracted it. And that was, that was really among our first big questions um, because at, on Friday, there, there weren't very many cases in the U S where public health officials just didn't know how people got it. Usually it was pretty clear cut, like, for example, tied to this nursing home in Washington State or tied to European travel or um, tied to travelers from Asia. This was a few days ago, one of the only cases that I was aware of where they had not identified how she became ill. Right. And I'll say, too, that the the state health department has not released any more information about where she might have contracted the disease. Um, they said that an investigation is ongoing on Saturday. So that usually entails a bunch of questions. And this woman, as we understand, is pretty ill. So, so can can you spread the virus if you don't have symptoms of it? Like if you have it? Well, for, I guess, actually, let's 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 back up and, and talk about what what does the timing of getting the virus actually look like? So, like you're exposed to it. Let's let's say you're exposed to it. How long would it take before you started, you know, experiencing symptoms potentially? It, it could. It's going to differ based on different people. But what most people believe is you're going to become symptomatic within 14 days. Okay, which means that you could just have the virus spread it to a lot of different people without knowing it and on the 14th day feel sick. Yeah. So you you could be spreading it though during those those days that you don't know you have it's it. It's called the incubation period where the virus is just sort of living in you but not isn't causing any symptoms. Um but yes, you're definitely contagious. I'll during say, that period. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um but public health officials are much more concerned about spread from people who do have symptoms. So I was listening to a call yesterday with uh, Dr. Nancy Massonnier, who's with the CDC. She said, quote, it is people with symptoms we're worried about. They're the ones who are able to transmit. So mm-hmm. I think when they say that, they're, they're pointing out that those respiratory droplets, as they call them, um, are most often, you know, shared with sneezes, coughs. Shared that- might be the wrong verb. <laughs> <laughs> spread. Um, with sneezes, coughs, things that come along with those symptoms was my, my takeaway from um, what they were saying. So they, they want to be especially careful about people who do have symptoms. And that's why we're hearing the messaging we are. For example, if, you, if you're sick and you blow your nose and you touch a doorknob, it's much more likely that you're going to pass along something of course, yeah. than if you are not sneezing. You know? Right, right. So that makes total there's sense. Some, there's some mixed information out there about that, but I think that's what people need to know. Yeah. So what are we hearing at the, this point? We've had, we have reporters in Columbia. We've had reporters in Camden, of course, here in Charleston. Um, I know, MK, you've been listening in on a lot of calls. We've had people at a bunch of different press conferences. What are we hearing from state officials right now? You know, what is the message they've been putting out? 
it right now to me it seems like what they're saying is this is a serious public health issue we're taking it seriously we feel prepared things could change quickly we will communicate those changes with you please don't panic wash your hands stay home from work if you're sick i i have not felt like any of our public health leaders or Politicians have been dismissive of the threat that this poses. It's a fine balance of, I think, weighing the serious risks and not inciting full-blown panic. I mean, the the thing that this most reminds me of that I've been thinking about the last couple of days, it reminds me a lot of a hurricane. Um particularly from from our vantage point in the media, we need to communicate like risk, complicated risks people. And then if you think about it too, from like, if you're a, a elected official or a policymaker, um, you know, it's a really, it's almost a no win situation because, you know, it's, if you do all the right things, if you prevent the outbreak from happening, then the outbreak doesn't happen. And then people are like, why, you know, oh, oh nothing happened, you know? So it's, and it's really, really hard to, to thread that needle and not, cause panic because I like I think we all agree that yeah that, like this isn't a time for for panic and but it's also something to be paying attention to it's something to maybe be concerned about it's not but we don't know yet there's still a lot of unknowns and it's really really hard to to be making policy and to be communicating this to people when there's so much unknown I think that you know part of the reason why we're hearing relatively conservative messages from the governor and from um, state health officials is because they expect this to spread more right. in South Carolina. And so they want to kind of measure the response based on they, – they don't want to react too much too soon. Um, for for instance, closing schools. They are saying right now that that is – there's really no reason to do that. Right. And I'm talking about public schools in particular. Um we're seeing that happen in other places around the country. I think they're wanting to delay that as much as possible, right. which makes total sense. Yeah. We want to educate our kids. At the yeah. same time, though, delaying it doesn't help contain it. Right. You know, right. I, I, don't, I don't know what the right answer is. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think the thing that I'm, I'm that I keep thinking about is that, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I don't know what the right the right answer is like the right level of because we've seen all over the world we've seen different responses and even in this country we've seen very different responses from different states and of course different states have different situations we only have nine here so you know maybe it makes a lot of sense that we're not as concerned as a state like you know new york that has a lot more um but it does seem like if if it gets bad, it's going to get bad really quickly, like probably more quickly than people are, are maybe prepared for. I think that the, like we were talking about before we started recording, I think this next week and a half is crucial. Yeah. yeah. I think that a lot's going to happen. Um, like right now. The picture's going to yeah. look very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This time next week. I exactly. That, yeah. that I think that's the bottom line is I I feel really confident saying that. The situation will be a lot different next week. I don't I don't know how like what the situation will be, but it will not be the same situation that we have today. Yeah. And I think I'd like to point out, too, that 
just an interesting comparison point in terms of our state government's sort of response to this outbreak. North Carolina yesterday with seven presumptive cases, so two two fewer um, than we have, declared it a state of emergency. Yeah. Um, And so I know there were some questions, too, about what that really means and maybe why we haven't done that so far. I don't think we can answer the second one. That's obviously up to the governor. But um, in terms of a state of emergency, that definitely frees up federal funding and offers some flexibility in terms of what health providers can do um, in situations like these. And Emily and I were talking um, before we started recording about how long that can last too. It can be, you know, really several months. Mm -hmm. Uh, New York declared theirs at least as of right now through September Mm -hmm. of this year. And and right now, um, again, as of midday Wednesday, we're looking at 14 states that have declared a state of emergency. Um, But again, you know, the numbers of cases really vary between different states. I was kind of surprised to see that um, Massachusetts on Tuesday announced 51 new presumptive positive cases just in one day. So you're seeing that and a lot of them are coming from the same source, right? So we're seeing some states that um, are kind of seeing a lot of cases at one time, you know, coming out of specific places. And we have not seen that yet. I'll say too that in in a state of emergency, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that schools automatically close or anything like that. So in terms of our daily life, um, the state of emergency, it comes with a bunch of recommendations about what to do and what not to right. do, including, you know, canceling unnecessary travel and that sort of thing. And, um, and again, it's like like with hurricanes, we often see, you know, governors like kind of preemptively declaring states of emergency yeah. like days before. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you, have you to know, get it, out it, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it just means like we're getting ready. I think we should view it as a tool the government uses right. to sort of prepare the state, free up funding, that sort of thing. Not to say, of course, it communicates a literal state of emergency, right. but that's that's primarily its its purpose. That language of um, a hurricane, that comparison is the exact language that I have heard from tourism officials on the regional level in Charleston and on the state level. Um, not not prompting them at all. Several different people made the same independent comparison to a hurricane, especially because the tourism industry, unlike a lot of other businesses with hurricanes, with something like this virus, they experience more real economic losses, right? So unlike a manufacturer, they're experiencing some supply chain delays, their um, demand might be pent up, they can make up for it later, Whereas in travel, you see this with hurricanes, um, if you lose that night that someone was supposed to be staying in your hotel, you have lost that night. Yeah. You know, that room was empty if they canceled that trip and you're not able to rebook it. So yeah. it's just interesting. That is the language that um, that they've been using and, and kind of drawing from those hurricane plans that they've used now for the last several years in a row. So. That that leads me to a question I kind of want to ask everybody in the room, because uh, I know I've been getting asked this question all the time from my friends. It's basically like, how worried am I? You know, like people people know that I'm paying attention to it, and they're basically asking me like, I, I guess people think you know like whatever my level of worriedness is is appropriate, appropriate or something. Not not that it is, but um, 
So I'm just I'm curious, like what's <laughs> what's y'all's answer to that question? I think as news watchers, as reporters are, we tend to view things with a very like cold, removed uh, attitude. And so for me, it's really watching with interest. But I'd say too that yeah, I'm I'm worried about my older family members, and I'm just preparing mentally and honestly financially too for disruptions Mm -hmm. um, to my daily life, to not being able to go to the grocery store, go to the gym. That's the sort of thing I'm thinking about. Right. I, there's a few things I worry about. I mean, personally, I have, you know, several trips planned this year and I, ones I want to go on and, um, (laughs) you know, I wonder what's going to happen with those. I wonder, you know, we've spent, you know, several thousand dollars on deposits and airline tickets. And I wonder, you know, you know, if, if travel companies' policies will change, if those will be refundable, if they're subject to change. I worry about um, – I already mentioned it earlier, but I worry about schools. I worry about having to work from home if necessary. I worry about um, – this is something that a lot of health policy people on Twitter have been talking about, the capacity of our healthcare system to accommodate a huge influx of sick people at one time. Um, there's a lot of evidence coming out of Italy that their hospitals are just completely overwhelmed. Um, so that's kind of scary to think about since we have um, mm-hmm. such a large oh, yeah, healthcare that, that community reminds me here. Of, uh, an, interesting, an interesting point I saw on Twitter, I, I wish I remembered who said it, but um, it was something I hadn't thought about, and I'm curious what your take is. They, they said, you know, think about it. If the hospital, like if, if your local hospital is completely at capacity dealing with influenza and dealing with coronavirus, and then you have like a very serious accident that has nothing to do with coronavirus. Could this still, you know, impact your access to care and and how, you know, the the quality of it? I would say hospitals have triage. So in a normal situation, you know, even let's say, let me back up for a second. I'm trying to choose an example that's not like devastatingly sad. Um, (laughs) if there's a regular emergency where a lot of people get hurt at once, hospitals have systems in place, obviously, to treat everyone and prioritize care. But we have seen those systems break down before. For sure. And Katrina is a perfect example of that. Yeah. It's really hard to say right now, um, how South Carolina's hospitals will deal with that. Mm -hmm. It's, it feels like an impossible prediction. And they're actively preparing for it. I mean, this is something that. Our healthcare leaders are, that's probably all they're working on. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to throw it to you in a second, Emily, but because um, I'm curious on your take uh, to the, going back to my question, the, or the answer that I've been giving people is basically, you know, I, I look at the statistics of, of the morbidity and mortality stats of this, and it doesn't alarm me per se. I mean, like it's bad. But I, I get why people are like, you know, it, it probably like it probably won't directly affect me or if I get it, it'll probably be mild. And that's probably true for most Americans. The thing that worries me is almost more the economic impacts The like, what does it do um, to businesses? What does it do to people's livelihoods? And so I'm really glad, actually, Emily, that you're, you're here as as <laughs> somebody on this beat. What what are what have you been learning about like what we expect to see from the business community and and you know how how worried are you about that yeah so uh, first of all much like this 
spread of the disease itself, it's still very unknown what we're going to see in terms of economic impact. But at the same time, I mean, of course, we're already seeing it because for certain things, perception is everything, right? Perception can also dictate if if we're talking travel, if people make a trip in the first place, um, All right. regardless like, how, of how many cases there I can't, are. I can't tell you how many people have, have told me, like, I would not get on a plane right now. You know? Exactly. Airfares are dropping like crazy. I just looked um, this morning and I and I checked a few days ago, too, and then the, the prices were even lower. So if you go from uh, Charleston to Seattle right now, those flights are selling for more than $200 less than usual. Of course, when we're looking to Seattle, that's a place that does have a big outbreak, but it's it's just very obvious in those airfares right now um, how that's being impacted. But I, yeah, I know in terms of um, travel, which like I said, is going to be one of the first industries that sees a real economic loss. They're very worried about that perception aspect that regardless of how many cases are in different places, a lot of people don't feel safe right now. So the the CDC has not recommended any travel restrictions within the U.S. except when it comes to cruises. Um, so they have warned that cruises, that environment on the ship is more conducive to spreading or really any illness. So of course, um, this disease as well, and especially people with underlying health conditions now, Cruises are still operating. Many people probably know that there's a cruise ship that comes to Charleston. There's a ship that left on Saturday, and it's scheduled to come back tomorrow and get a new load of people and and go out. So, so nothing has Wild. been, yeah, <laughs> nothing has been, nothing has been canceled. I know some, a lot of people are concerned about those cruise ships because they are bringing a lot of people at once, and they've all just been on a ship in close quarters together. Um, one thing I do think that is important to clear up because some people have been contacting the city of Charleston is that they don't have legal jurisdiction over whether or not a cruise ship can come into that port. Mm. The state ports authority would be better to to reach out to um, if people really do have concerns, but the, that is not the city's purview, whether or not they can mm. come in or not. I think on a micro level too, it's important to point out that given the strength of the tourism economy in, in Charleston, that some people will be losing work, most likely, over coronavirus, um, in particular hourly workers. Mm-hmm. It's it's very possible. Now, one, one thing, though, we don't have community spread in, in Charleston. Right. Um, one thing that people have brought up, and again, we don't know at this point, but at least anecdotally, and this is also what obviously the industry is hoping here, um, is that some people who may have been planning to go to Europe, uh, maybe someone was planning to go to Italy, um, decides to stay in the U.S. and go to a city like Charleston that has a similar appeal to similar travelers. A lot of those people are in the mm-hmm. same kind of target market uh, would decide to to make a trip, but maybe they're driving from Atlanta, right? Instead right. of flying overseas. I have a question yeah. that's business related. I, and this is the biggest impact that the virus has had on my life is my 401k. Mm. Right. Yeah. That was depressing to log into my account. I guess it was yesterday or the day before. I was, um, 
Monday. Monday was, I believe it was the 11th largest percentage drop in the Dow Jones in history. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Like so, the, the worst since 2008. So that's going to be worrying for a whole lot of people. Yeah. One right. thing that gave me a little bit of peace of mind, and maybe you can talk about this and clear it up because you know more about it than I do, but they were saying that because the economy right now is generally strong or very strong, even if we take a hit, we can bounce back faster than we did in 2008. Does that sound right? Definitely depends on who you ask. I will say um, the Chamber of Commerce here in Charleston had their annual um, economic outlook uh report um that they gave at a at a luncheon last last week and um locally you know they were saying these outlook numbers aren't taking coronavirus into account but economy's really strong here job market is strong um you know we feel pretty confident that uh regardless we can bounce back from this pretty quickly um but they also had an economist there who spoke from a national perspective and um Essentially, what she was saying is that while we do have some indicators like the unemployment rate that are really strong right now, there were already these weaknesses in the economy. We're talking on a national scale now um, coming into 2020 that made the economy already a little bit vulnerable to a disruption like the coronavirus. So when we're talking, if we take that unemployment rate specifically, um, she brought up how, yes, the national unemployment rate is really low right now, but also the labor participation rate has been going down as well. Um, so it's people who are unemployed but not necessarily looking for work? Correct, okay. correct. Um, also, at, at this point, in terms of the economy's strength, she was saying we should be seeing job growth that's almost entirely for high-paying full-time jobs, but we're still seeing a lot of job growth in temporary work and hourly work and low-wage work. Um, so that was just one of the examples, but essentially people don't quite agree on that. So some people point to things like that unemployment rate and say, we're strong, we can weather this. But there are also economists out there that will point to some weak points that were already existing before the coronavirus. So essentially, I guess what I'm saying is no one can agree on that. Yeah. Um, and it, it goes back to that perception too, right, in terms of the stock market right now. Things are just too uncertain. Yeah, I mean, so that leads me, I think, to like the last thing that worries me and that I've been thinking a lot about and that I don't think is, is people are starting to talk about it, but I don't, it hasn't permeated the, the conversation as much as I think it should, which is the the financial cost of getting coronavirus. Um, so specifically, we know in this country, uh, healthcare costs, already a big, big issue. Access to healthcare, already a big issue. Quality of insurance, already a big issue. Um, and then, of course, we get into things like PTO, paid time off, already a big issue in this country. A lot of jobs don't have paid time off. So you, you get sick, you don't go to work, you don't get paid. Um, I remember right when this kind of got started in this country, uh, there was a story out of Miami, um, a man and his daughter, I believe, um, 
thought they might have coronavirus, went and tried to get tested and ended up being billed $3,000, um, you know? And so that like that, now that's, we, we can talk about like what's happened now, but I think like big picture that, that has to be concerning to people who, who are already thinking, you know, like I can't, I, I can't afford a hospitalization, you know? So I think that that figure was both, just to be clear, yeah. it was the testing and the medical treatment. Oh, okay, and the treatment. Okay, okay. Or at least that's that's the case in many of these really right. astronomical bills yeah. um, that we're seeing kind of circulate the news media, which is a real issue. Um, hospitalizations remain extremely expensive right. in the United States. And so I think that's a, that's a big part of how coronavirus will look different in the U.S. compared to other countries, probably. Um, but to address the test, the cost of testing specifically, um, we heard commitments from major insurance companies yesterday, including um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina is not going to have any cost sharing with its customers for the testing of the coronavirus. That means no deductibles, no copays, no coinsurance. So that should make testing free. Mm-hmm. Um, that was already true for um, members of Medicare, Medicaid, and the Children's Health Insurance Program. So that covers pretty much everyone. Now, if you don't have insurance, I am not sure what right. the case will well, be. Well, I guess in theory, the, your, the provider would bill you, yeah. but maybe not in this case. It, that might be, that's a, that's a big question. And, and of course, we do have a lot of people in Compared to other states, a lot of people in South Carolina who don't have health insurance, we didn't mm-hmm. expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And so we have this um, what's called a coverage gap of largely young, single, childless adults who don't make enough money or make too, make too much mm-hmm. to qualify for Medicaid. Right. And they don't, they don't make not, enough to not afford enough a plan to be able to afford. And, and not in, in anyway, there's a coverage gap. Yeah. And so I don't I don't exactly know what the situation will be for those people, but I'll say on top of the testing costs, of course, there's the hospitalization right. cost yeah. and just the cost of seeing a doctor and all of that. That that still applies. You know, we don't get a free pass um, on those costs just because we have an epidemic, right? Um, unfortunately, and I mean so that's something people yeah. will have to keep in mind, and I think that will be something to really watch for in terms of you know people's personal pocketbooks, yeah. And two, what all of this will cost our hospitals. We know that hurricanes are a huge cost to our state's hospitals. And those are events that change their daily business, you know, for a few days or a week or two. This is going to be prolonged. Right. So that will be something to be concerned about. As well. There is, I will say, one good thing that um, people in South Carolina have access to is uh this website, this app that um, the Medical University of South Carolina set up, it's musc.care, not .com. It's not the word care, which is a little weird, but um, basically uh, it's a tele telemedicine. That means like you talk to a doctor over your, like using your phone. Um, and it for COVID-19, for South Carolina residents, using the service is free. It is not the only hospital that's doing that in the state. It was the first to kind of publicly announce yeah. it. And MUSC has um, the telehealth center in South Carolina. They um, they received the state funding to do that. 
But um, Roper St. Francis and Prisma both have virtual care services as mm-hmm. well, both for free, all with the same code to use it, which is COVID-19. Trident Health has its own um, call-in number too. Honestly, check out postingcareer.com. Yeah. But that that is that is genuinely like a good thing. I can imagine that being really useful to a lot of people. Like you can't take time off to see the doctor. You maybe don't have insurance. Like this is this is these are free services that you do have access to if you're concerned. Your health insurance plan, I know ours here at the Post and Courier may already have something similar for all illnesses. It's it's something that you should check with your if you have employer sponsored insurance. I think ours is called Teladoc. Um you just call. They can do prescriptions. It's free. Um, anyway. So this is great. It's, it's a great um, time to put out there that these services are available. They're not new. Um, but I think in general, the hope is that we can avoid having people physically go into the doctor's office or the hospital when perhaps they could stay at home and get that first consultation. I read something on Twitter this week where it was some person who was saying maybe – COVID-19 is the spark that telemedicine really needed to get mm-hmm. off the ground. That because would be cool. it ha- Because you're right, it has been around for a while, yeah. and it's not really widely used. Yeah. Um, but this may it, it creates an obvious it. sort of um, argument for telehealth. Um, there's, there's really clear reasons why you might want to stay at home here. Um, and, of course, those doctors may point you, or nurses, whoever you see um, virtually, may point you to, you know, go physically – to a facility after that. But, you know, again, there's that hope that you could keep people from sort of entering the healthcare system when they might not have to. And in fact, everything I've read, the guidance is if you are sick, call. Mm-hmm. Don't just come in somewhere. Right. You put other people potentially. Right. Call first. Protection. Yeah. Even even if you think you need to go to the ER, I think that they're telling people, please call first. Yeah. In addition to those resources, is there anything else that people should know if they think they're exhibiting symptoms, if they think they may be sick? Um, and then I'd say in addition to that, what do we know right now about about testing? And if someone really seriously thinks they have those symptoms, their ability to get tested? We have the capacity to test a lot of people in South Carolina. They are not testing a lot of people in South Carolina. I think they're being conservative with the number of tests that they're administering. Um, I think I have um, seen some frustration among readers and and people on social media. Why am I not getting tested? Or why is this person not getting tested? Or, you know, why isn't everybody at the airport getting tested for this? Um, And I think that we're obviously not there yet. And DHEC is making these calls about who gets tested and who doesn't. But as I understand it, we can test 100 people a day or more now. Yeah, it's it's something like that. And then DHEC said on Monday that they have the capacity to test 1,000 people total right now. Um, so, you know, that's a big number, but it's also kind of think about the number of people who are likely to get sick. And you're like, okay, I can kind of see why they're being conservative. I'll say, too, that um, private labs and some hospitals have begun to receive FDA approval to conduct their own tests, which is where some of these insurance issues come into play. Um, so, so you know, that could be a growing possibility here as we go along. But I think that the, the advice that people should walk away with is that if you're exhibiting symptoms, you should really if, stay at home. If you're sick. And use one of those virtual doctors. Talk to them. They're free. Right. And they can give you advice about what to do. And well, these symptoms are 
they can be quite mild. So um, if you're sick, you could just recover at home from this disease. Yeah. Well, so to, so to wrap up, I think um, it might be useful to just go through some of the questions that we got from social media. We uh, put out a post yesterday on, on Twitter asking for questions that people have. I think we've actually addressed most of them, but there are a few. Um, so one, one person asked, is it possible to get coronavirus from packages that get delivered to your house? So like, I, I imagine you're trying to stay home and get everything from Amazon Prime. Do you still get it from that? The upshot is that the virus can live on hard surfaces for some time, but this really isn't the top concern. And the CDC says that there is really poor survivability on packages. Um, the WHO says the same. The World Health Organization says the same thing. Um, and honestly, if you are that concerned about um, packages you're receiving that you know may <laughs> contain a virus, you can always use um, ethanol, alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, or sodium hypochlorite to wipe that, it down. That's They're, bleach. Say it again? That's bleach. Okay. So you can use common cleaners yeah. to, um, to clean these packages if you're really concerned. All right. How does okay? So next question is um, how does how does coronavirus impact um, our blood supply and blood donations? I think we got emails yesterday across the newsroom saying that donations were down. Um, I, I'm not sure if that has a direct if that's a direct you know cause of this the spread of this disease, but people shouldn't worry about donating blood right now. I mean it's it's a sterile procedure. You're not allowed to donate blood if you're sick or you have been sick recently. So if you have been, then don't. But otherwise, people should and can. All right. All right. Last last question. Um, what should what should people be doing if they have like elderly relatives? Should like grandchildren like be visiting their grandparents right now or like? So my children are basically always sick. <laughs> this is one of the byproducts of having children in daycare. Someone always has a runny nose. Um, or an ear infection or something. But if you practice good hygiene, if you teach your children to wash your hands, um, they should be fine. They shouldn't be coughing in anyone's face. But if you're worried, then keep them away. But I think the same rules apply no matter what you're sick with. Yeah. And then just a little addition. If your loved one is in a nursing home or an assisted living facility or in hospice care, then... <laughs> Um, some industry associations have been suggesting that you just don't visit in person. And hospitals um, are, did you mention hospitals? No, I didn't, but they, yeah, They're, that's they're true. restricting a lot of um, visitors under the age of 12. Right. Kids right. carry germs. They do. Um, and even if you're an adult, it may be a good precaution um, since we've seen so much trouble at nursing homes around the country, specifically in Washington, with mm -hmm. this problem. All right. Uh, so thanks so much, Lauren and MK, for, for coming on and, and spending so much time and helping us uh, hopefully give a little bit of clarity to this story. Um, I do want to mention a couple of things. So here at the Post and Courier, um, obviously, you can go to postandcourier.com to uh, track all of this, and we're, we're on top of it. We have decided to make a lot of our coronavirus coverage free. So you don't need to have a subscription to look at most of our coronavirus stories. You know, you can also sign up for we have a like breaking news newsletter that will give you up to the up to date information. Also, I want to plug our health and science newsletter. 
also a good source of information. But like I said, you you can count on count on Post and Courier, postandcourier.com to keep you up to date um, with the latest information and the essential information that you need. Um, we're going to be passing it on uh, social media, all all the channels that we have. I will say, yeah. if you, you you mentioned how we've made a lot of this coronavirus coverage for free, if you do buy a subscription or already have one, digital or print or both, um, we have a special subscribers-only Facebook group. And tomorrow on 1230, for members of that group, I'm hosting an hour-long um, Q&A about coronavirus. It's going to be at 1230. So if we didn't answer your question in this podcast, then – Hop on Facebook. You have to subscribe, though, um, to the Post and Courier, and, and we'll let you into that group, and you can participate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just I'll close it out by by saying, um, you know, even though you know we're we're making this information free, um, we do depend uh, like a lot on subscribers and y'all subscribing to the paper to keep doing what we're doing to keep posting these important stories. Um, so if you have not considered subscribing to the Post and Courier, um, please do. <laughs> it's the be- best way that you can help us um, keep going here. Um, otherwise, be safe. Practice wash basic your hands. hygiene. Wash, wash your, hands. your hands. Wash your hands. Don't panic. 20 seconds. Stay well. Pay attention, but don't panic. Stop buying water bottles. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.